So let me jump into this message. Uh, we are continuing in our devotions series. And, uh, man, I've been excited about this because I think being devoted is a big part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, as a matter of fact, God calls us to be devoted to many things. In Acts chapter 2, we can see a list of those things. But even most practically, we're called to be devoted to our family. God wants us to be good stewards of the, the opportunities that he's given us. So many of us devote our lives to our work, right? We devote our lives to, to some important things in life. But one thing that Acts 2 clearly expresses that we're to devote ourselves to, that sometimes, in my experience, the church has struggled to devote itself to, is knowing the word of God. And so this series' goal is to help us learn to explore and apply the Word of God to our lives. And, and what we did was we laid out a bunch of, of resources that would help you understand how to maybe approach the Word a little bit more effectively. And if you wanted to kind of go get some insight on some of those resources that we recommended, you could go to northwood.church slash podcast Go listen to some of the old uh, sermons from early in October, and you'll hear all of those resources and how to maybe use some of those. But today, I'm not really going to dig too deep into that. I really want to just get into this message because the Word of God is alive and active, and I'm just excited to engage it today. As a matter of fact, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Talk about a, a word that's alive, literally the breath of God spoke the word into existence and inspired by the breath or Holy Spirit of God, men penned the word down and now that's what we have within the, the, the covers of our Bible and it's profitable for some things. It's profitable, it's valuable to the church for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work that God might have for you to do in this life. The Word of God is important. Do you agree? Yeah. And, and so there's three questions that we did lay out uh, that are going to help us navigate each teaching. But it's also good for you if you were to sit down on a Monday morning, crack open the Word and say, hey, what, what, what does God want me to get from my devotional time, my time with the Lord in his word? Maybe that's 15, 20 minutes before you get to work or what have you. How do I walk through the word? And these three questions we found and have actually gotten a lot of feedback from a lot of you have been really helpful to just kind of be a template or a filter by which to look at the word. And they go like this. It's one, what do I learn about God? Now, when we talk about God, we are talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? And so God is, is three persons in one God, three distinct, unique persons, yet one whole God. And, and so whenever we talk about what we learn about God, it's important that we understand we could talk, be talking about any one of the three persons of God. Two, what do we learn about people? You know, and you might be looking at your neighbor like, yeah, I'm trying to learn about you. I'm trying to figure you. No, you need to look at the, in the mirror. What do, what do I learn about myself, about my motivations, about my temptations, about those things that, that maybe I struggle, would struggle with, those things where I might need encouragement and correction? What do I learn about people, how I think, act, and feel? And then the third question is, what does God want me to do? Right? How, how do I respond to what I learn about him and people? And, and so, again, one of the resources that we mentioned uh, throughout this series is called the One-Year Bible. Many of you, if you've been around Northwood Church for any period of time, you've heard about it. Uh, it's just a one-year reading 
of the entire Bible. And uh, we're actually basing this sermon on uh, the series on that one-year Bible plan. And so we've been reading in the one year, whatever the readings were for that particular week, right? And then that Sunday, we're teaching out of it. And so last Sunday and actually today, we're teaching out of the book of Hebrews. Today, we're going to be specifically in Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, what we've been looking at as we kind of approach these scriptures and these these teachings is just a summary overview. This is another resource that we gave you guys. If you go to BibleHub.com, uh, you can actually access this wealth of resource. And one of those resources, if you were to go search Hebrews, you can also select summary at BibleHub.com. Come and they'll give you a summary of the whole book of the Bible that give, help give you a little context. And so I'm going to read this summary. It's the same summary that we had from last week's teaching, uh, but you'll see how it helps us understand this teaching today. The book of Hebrews was written mainly to the Hebrew believers. The author is anonymous. Although either Paul or Barnabas was traditionally accepted as the author, uh, it was written in approximately 70, 67 A.D. Now, the purpose of the book of Hebrews is to present the Lord Jesus Christ as perfect and superior in comparison to anything Judaism and the Old Covenant had to offer. Right? So we realize that there was an old way to approach God, and now the, the book of Hebrews is teaching us that the new way is perfect and superior to the old, and it's all bound up in Jesus now, the context or historical context of this book is that the author wrote to a group of Christians who were under intense persecution. They were experiencing great duress. They, they would have been ostracized maybe from their communities, maybe even ostracized from their families because it's a Hebrew church that we're talking to. And so the Jews would have ignored these Hebrew teacher, uh, Christian converts. The, the Gentile Christian Christians would have rejected the Jewish Christians oftentimes, or they would have had trouble accepting the way that they lived their life. Then the government, there was a lot of persecution going on, and some were contemplating a return to Judaism, and the author admonished them to not turn away from their only hope of salvation, Jesus. And so when you hear what we're going to teach today, you got to remember it was taught to a people who were struggling. And some of us in this room struggle. And so understanding that that's the context helps us see how this teaching is also valuable for us today. Now last week, we taught from Hebrews chapter 3, and we learned that Jesus is our Messiah, right? The anointed one of God sent to set the captives free. And that's who he is. And he's not just our Messiah, he's our mediator. He's our go-between between us and the Father. And it's only because of Jesus that we have access to the Father. He's our high priest. He's the one who would make atonement or, or shed blood for the payment of our sin so that we actually could have a restored relationship with the Father so that we could be forgiven. That's what we learned last week. And this week, we are learning some things that, that kind of uh, harken back to what was being talked about in the beginning of Hebrews chapter, uh, the, the beginning of the book of Hebrews in, in the third chapter. And so we're in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21, and some of this stuff is going to sound just like what you learned uh, last week, but then we're going to kind of broaden it from there. It says, since, in light of all those things about that we learned about Jesus, since all of those things, since we have a high priest over the house of God, since Jesus is who he says he is and he did what he did, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us 
hold fast. Another translation says, let us hold unswervingly, right? Don't deviate to the left. Don't deviate to the right. Hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And so we can stop right there and just give thanks to God that he is faithful and that he has a promise for us and that we can rely on that promise and that we can hope in that promise, that we can trust him. Amen? And, and so that's a little bit of a recap, really, of what, what we heard last week. This is, this is hearkening back again to some of those things that we've already been taught. But now it says in the 24th verse, kind of like because of those things, in 24 it says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more is you see the day drawing near. Now that, that day that the author's talking about is the day of the Lord. Uh, some would say it's the day of his return. Some would say it's the day of the great white throne judgment. We, we believe that whether it's either or, there's a time when all of this era will wrap up, the era of grace, and God is coming to judge the world and gather his people unto himself. And we're supposed to be encouraging one another as the day draws near, Okay. And so the question that we want to start with after having read the scripture is, what do I learn about God? Well, besides the things that we've just reminded ourselves about God's faithfulness, about how he saved us through Christ, about how he's given us access to, to him, besides all of those things, in all these verses as well as in the rest of all scripture, we learn that God has designed us to be in community. God has designed us to be in community. Why do I believe that based on reading these scriptures? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, he's in, the author who's inspired by God to write this is instructing us to gather, to be together. But two, when we read all of these verses, since we have a great high priest, let us draw near. Let us Hold fast. Let us consider how to stir one another. This was not written to an individual as much as it was written to a community of believers. These are plural, right? This is not for, for it is for you, but it's so related to the community of believers that you can't ignore it. And it's clear that God is suggesting, it's, it's like he doesn't even need to say it in the word. It's just you presuppose it because of the way he's speaking to you. It's all about the we. It's all about the we and the us. And so God's designed us to be in community. Now, community is one of our values here at Northwood Church. And we believe, you know, that it's to be valued because God values it. See, God himself is a community. Remember I, I talked about him being a triune God, three persons in one God? Did you know that God the Father is communing, fellowshipping with God the Son and God the Spirit while simultaneously being one? He is the picture of the original community. And we are made in his image. And so as image bearers, we are also to be people who are in community. Now, we're not only made for God, we're made for one another. Now, some of us would say, well, I, I don't need other people, right? Some of us would just say, just give me God and I'm going to be okay. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Or maybe you've even said that yourself. 
Like I, can, I could get along without anybody, but I just can't get along without God. Well, Adam in the Garden of Eden, he actually had a period of time where it was just him and God. And I'm sure he enjoyed that. That was very nice, I imagine. <laughs> Walking in the cool of the day in the presence of God, just just communing with the Father, that's wonderful. But then you know what God said to Adam? It is not good that man should be, what, alone. We're made for community. God designed us for community. But specifically, what for what kind of community? Well, for a faith community. See, there's a lot of people that gather in different places for different things, right? So I like to work out a little bit. I mean, you can't tell, but I do. I enjoy it. You know what I mean? My man over here, he's in the gym. Y'all work out. I'm trying to get like you, boss. <laughs> but uh, you go to the gym and what happens? You're around like-minded people doing some of the same things. And so you kind of have this community vibe. Talk, anybody CrossFit? Right, you know the cult of CrossFit, right? Yeah, absolutely. You get connected to that community. You're training with those people every day. You start knowing one another, right? You sweat together. You smell together. Man, that's, that's community, right? <laughs> and it's true, it is. Or think about like, you know, maybe you're a parent and you've got kids and, and you do maybe some uh, sports, some athletics. And so you're traveling from game to game and you're with these other parents and you, your kids are in the same, you know, club and, and you guys are doing this together, and, and you start to build, like, a community with those parents and those families, right? Or maybe it's, uh, maybe, well, like, for me, I'm cleaning out my garage right now to set it up as a workshop, trying to get my tools ordered so I could do some work out of the garage. And uh, that is a smart thing to do with the garage rather than using it just for storage, but to actually make it functional, you know? So I'm trying to, trying to catch up with all you other men. And, and uh, man, I'm in, on these YouTube channels, like, reminding myself of all the details of woodworking and stuff like that. I'm passionate about it. And, and you should see the way that people interact even on a YouTube channel in the comment section. It's community. They're like, we're in the woodworkers crafting community together, you know. And I'm like, wow, it's, it's just this mindset when you're doing the same thing that it's obvious that you're together in doing the same thing. And I remember as a young man uh, with a broken family, and uh, a lot of trespass in other relationships. Man, those guys, those people that were in my life, they meant the world to me. And, and we shared a lot of similar interests. They weren't good interests, but we shared a lot of similar interests. They were very unhealthy. And, uh, but we were community. We were like tight. We were family, right? But it wasn't until I came to Christ, received forgiveness and salvation, that I actually experienced the type of community that I was designed for, a faith community that's centered around Jesus. And if you look at the us's and the we's in Hebrews chapter 10, all of those things that the instruction is based on, it's all based on that us and we should be faith-centered. Hold fast the confession of the faith, right? And so here at NC, our community is centered on our faith in Christ. That's actually our mission statement. Our mission statement is that we build Christ-centered communities that help people know God grow in Christ and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns, the day of the Lord, right? And so in Christ, we've become one community. Now, this is a powerful reality that we need to just 
appreciate for a moment if you haven't ever realized this. Let me read a scripture and I'll elaborate. 1 Corinthians 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Did you hear that? In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. You see, we are so much more than a group of people who have shared interests. Though interests are great. Those build bridges to relationship. I'm, I'm all about some interests. I got a guy that rides motorcycles. I ride a motorcycle. We have that common interest. Man, that, that's a bridge, right? I got a guy that likes to work out. Man, we talk about that. We work out. We talk about it. That's great. That, that's common interest. That, that builds bridges. But that's not what this is. We're so much more than a community that we share values. Although our values determine our culture and are usually aligned around our faith, here at Northwood Church specifically, they are. We're so much more than a community that we share values. We are a community that is supernaturally, miraculously knit together by the Holy Spirit. We have become one in spirit. And so you're over here as separate people, individual members, true, uniquely diverse and beautiful in that diversity. But beyond the flesh, in the supernatural realm, we are literally one body. And it's something to rejoice over, and there's no other community in all the earth that's actually that way. It's a miracle. And so I think that's important for us to remember as we think about the value of this faith community. And, and so that's what we learn about God. Uh, what do we learn about people? Well, in verse 25, it says, it is the habit of some to neglect to meet together. Right? And so we neglect to meet together to enjoy this miracle that God did. That's that's. You know, I'm fortunate that that happens. But that happens. And so what do we learn about people? It's that people need encouragement to stay in community. People need encouragement to stay in community. Now, there are many reasons why people struggle with engaging in community. And one reason is just cultural. It's just because of the way our society is. Um, we're increasingly uncomfortable with meaningful relationships. We've grown kind of numb to that. We're, we're more interested in the screen than we are in the team, right? Or it's easier. It's less confrontational. It's less, you know, disruptive. It's, it, it's just easy, right? Uh, I think it's also because we're a very transient culture. People come you know, settle down for a minute and then bounce out. And so they never develop into that meaningful community and people just come and go. And I know that's hard for some people because they actually desire to root down. I mean, think about our veterans, our, our military. Uh, man, they love the experiences that they get. They, they love to be deployed and travel and, and go experience the world. But I also have spoken with many people in the military that struggle so profoundly that they just never have an opportunity to really root down. It's one of the reasons why we try to make ourselves so accessible so quickly and easily for people in the, in the military so that they have a place while they're here. This is home base. As long as they're here, this is home. And, and, and so, but that transient culture does, you know, produce this inability to, to root down for a lot of people. And then uh, just think about habits. People, the, you know, the way they live in their home, that, that culture impacts their home. They're on their screens while they're laying next to their wife in bed instead of engaging their wife. Or they're on the couch and they're on their screen instead of being with their kids on the floor. And, and so there's that. Or maybe you're in your 
uh, backyard and instead of, you know, talking with the neighbor and sitting on the porch with the neighbor, you got a privacy fence because we just want privacy. You know, privacy is good. I just I don't want nobody in my business. And, and, and I get that. Don't get me wrong. I, I like a fence. But, but man, it, it really can disable our ability to engage in community. And then we struggle to trust people. We grow cynical and increasingly polarized, especially in days like these. And so that's a challenge to community. And then some people struggle with community for, for reasons kind of like that lack of trust, very deep, profound reasons. Maybe you've been in a community before where you've experienced some hurt. I mean, think about your family of origin. That's a community. It's supposed to be at least. And, and we get hurt in that place. Or, or maybe it's another faith family, maybe another local church. And you were exposed and vulnerable and, and transparent and accessible. And, and then a friend trespassed against you. Or maybe a leader didn't care for you well. Uh, maybe there was a manipulative culture or, or some other unhealthy thing going on in that space. And, and it hurt you. And, and it made it hard for you to believe that there could actually be a community that you could trust the people in it. And a guy like me stands up here and says, what I want you to do is I want you to be open to community. I want you to become vulnerable. I want you to be accessible to the people around you and let them into your life. And you're like, but that's kind of impossible considering my experiences. I've really been hurt before. And, and I understand that. I've felt that myself at times. I've had to throw myself off the cliff of trust because I know I need community. I've had, to, I've had to figure out who that community is so that I could build a community. But I know what those hurdles of broken trust create in our ability to open ourselves up to a community. And it's true that you may need boundaries. Boundaries can be healthy in a community. But boundaries can also be unhealthy. And one of the things I want to encourage you about, if you've ever experienced hurt in a community, whether it's your family of origin or a faith family or whatever that looks like, man, let wisdom be the lens that helps you determine your boundaries, not your wounds. Let wisdom determine who you will or won't engage, not the, the, the wounded, reactionary, closed off to all people and all things community. I've seen people walk in woundedness for years and never experience the beauty of the community that was in front of them. So, so that's another reason. Another reason that people struggle with com, uh, community is, is sin, right? So, so let's just stop and, and talk about sin for a second in relationship to being hurt. So a community is actually supposed, a faith community is supposed to be a place, according to the scripture, where you can come and you can confess your sin one to another and actually find healing. Healing comes through confession of sin. But you've tried that before. You've confessed sin to a trusted confidant, and they didn't handle it well. Maybe, maybe they were pharisaical, and, and they were condemning. Or maybe they weren't. Maybe they were loving and gracious, but then they gossiped about it, and it got out. And you're embarrassed about it, and you're not sure that, there's a safe place for you to actually confess your sin. And so now you're like, well, how am I ever going to confess sin again? Therefore, how am I ever going to be healed again if I can't find a safe place to actually confess my sin and not be hurt? And, and 
I know that that broken trust is, is hard to come back from. Uh, and, then, and then there's not just the broken trust in regards to confession of sin, but then there's just the sin itself and its impact on your life. This is a huge reason. I've seen this over and over again in student ministry, in kids ministry, and family ministry alike. We have seen people literally fall into a pattern of sin in their lives and remove themselves from the community because they're ashamed. And they don't think that the church is the place for them anymore when the church is actually the exact place that they need to be. And so the shame and condemnation that the enemy puts on them robs them of their ability to experience the beauty of community, find healing and restoration. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote a book called Life Together, one of my favorite books on community. If you haven't read it, very thin read, easy to read. I really recommend it. Uh, he lived during, um, he was killed during World War II, but he lived from 1906 to 1945. And he and a group of believers in Germany uh, they, they resisted the Third Reich, they resisted Hitler's policies and uh, actually had some plans to kind of, you know, undo uh, Hitler's policies and Hitler himself. And, and uh, for a period of time, they were very evangelistic and, and, and a little less, you know, thought provoked around the, the, the political aspects. And they had a clandestine, like, underground uh, ministry training institute, and they were living together, Right. And, and they were experiencing all the beauty of community. But, man, when you're living with some people, right, husbands and wives, y'all know, hey, look, you start seeing everybody's dirty laundry, it gets messy. And uh, it's hard to be in community sometimes. And he writes this book uh, as, as an instruction out of his experience. It says, hey, these are the things I learned about community. And one of the things that he says in that book, Life Together, is that sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him, that man, from the community. The more isolated the person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And so people get this in their head. They say, I'm struggling, I'm in sin. And they remove themselves from the community, right, thinking that, well, I'll just go get my act together, I'll go figure it out on my own, and then I'll come back when I'm all cleaned up and figured out, and, and then I can be part of the community again. And what actually happens is when you're isolated, you're exposed to the enemy, you're exposed to the world, you have no support, you have no encouragement, you're lost, and the, the work of that sin in your life actually has the, the power now to topple you, to undo you. But in the context of community, sin has no power. You find healing. And so this is another reason that we need to actually become close enough with people so that we can actually find those people that we trust, so that we can actually begin to confess our sin, so that we can actually begin to find healing. But you got to do the work to find those friends. you got to get into those spaces where you can have that experience. God wants you to discover a sincere community of believers where those things can happen. I believe if you're here for the first time or you've been coming for a little while, I believe you've just discovered that community. I found this to be a very sincere, very safe community. It's not perfect. You could get hurt here a little bit, but we're maturing together and we're on a journey. And, and we're believing that God is going to help us to, to be authentic and real and safe so that we can find healing together. Now, another reason, man, I'm just kind of rattling these off, right? Unrealistic expectations. How about that? A lot of people have unrealistic expectations of what a community 
should be or is supposed to be. And maybe it's due to someone's pain. They say, well, I'm never going to subject myself to a place like that again. And they say, I'm only going to be part of a community if it looks like this. Right? Or they got some ideal in their minds, maybe from something they read in the Scripture, and they think, well, if it doesn't look exactly like that, I don't want nothing to do with it. And they actually could begin to take on a pharisaical view of the community, holding these higher unrealistic expectations on the community than God himself holds on that community, right? And so we have these unrealistic expectations, and if the community doesn't meet those expectations, which it often won't because people are imperfect, then they pull away and they miss the richness of what the community is, but also they miss the richness of what the community is becoming, and what they can actually help the community become if they would just invest themselves into it. But these unrealistic expectations are major hurdles. Same author, Bonhoeffer, same book, Life Together. He says this, this quote, this quote 10 years ago when I read this rocked me because I had adopted some unrealistic expectations of the community I was connected to. It was Northwood Church. And... I had gotten it in my mind that certain things needed to be a certain way. And I was struggling with it. I wasn't being critical or condemning, but I, I just wasn't sure if that's where I needed to be. And, and I read this verse, and, or this uh, quote, and it rocked me. It said, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. So we get this idea, this dream in our head of what community has got to be. And if it ain't that, i got to go find it or i got to go create it. It's a lie. Nothing will ever meet your expectations, the dream that we have in our minds of a perfect community. And so what we do is we destroy the very community that we're in. If we stay in it, we'll literally break fellowship with that community, which also destroys community. But if you love the people around you, despite their shortcomings, despite their imperfection, you'll actually create community and you'll grow together in it. And this is what God has for us. You know, unrealistic expectations can become, this is what I like to say, planned disappointments. If you have unrealistic expectations in your mind around a person or a community, you are literally setting yourself up. You're planning. Put it on your calendar. You're going to be disappointed. Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that to others? Not only that, but unrealistic expectations can lead us to losing faith or trust in the value of Christian community. See, the Scripture teaches us to value Christian community, but then we put these unrealistic expectations on it, and the Spirit of God is moving in a community. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful and pure. And, and then our unrealistic expectations literally start causing us to think, well, maybe there's no community for me to belong to. And you lose the value of the community. You lose faith that there ever could be a community. And now you are that isolated sheep that sin and the enemy will devour. And that's not what God has for you. Now, there's a lot of other practical reasons why people struggle with community. Maybe you're introverted. Maybe you're uncomfortable with a lot of people. And I'm going to be, let me be honest with you. Look, our vibe here at Northwood Church tends to be a little bit expressive. We might come off a little bit extroverted. You know what I mean? Like you might get the impression that I'm like very extroverted. Now, the reality of it is I do fall on the extroverted side of my personality. 
But every test I've ever taken, personality test I've ever taken, repetitively, every time, lands me at 51% extroverted, 49% introverted. And so I'm actually fueled by people. And you'll see me go and go and go with people, totally outputting. And, and, and even when I start to cross over into that depleted place where I'm like, I'm out of juice, I'm just, dude, the adrenaline will kick in. And I'm, I'm, I'm very missional. I just love people. And so I'm, I kick in the gear anyway. And so I'll keep going. Man, you, I'll run that race with you, with the most extroverted person. But what you don't know is the second I walk out of that door and get in my truck, poof, my head hits the steering wheel. I'm like, I'm out. Like adrenaline crash, right? I need a nap. <laughs> and, um, and so I empathize with you introverted folks. I do get refueled reading a book by myself. I do get refueled in a quiet, dark place. You know, sometimes I'll come into the guys on staff think I'm crazy. I'll come in on Monday mornings, and I'll, I'll be the first one in there a lot of times. And, uh, and, and I'll sit there down at the, the conference table and just leave the lights off. And I'll be praying. I'll, I might be doing a little communication. But I just want the light just quiet, dim, right? And they'll walk in. <laughs> they'll just free, get freaked out when they see me at the table. I'm like, yo, chill. It's Monday. <laughs> It's Monday, just come on, let's ease into it, you know. And, um, and so I get it. And, and, and you know what, some of us extroverted people, because I'm a bit extroverted, some of us extroverted people aren't sensitive to the introvert's, you know, plight. <laughs> and we're like, hey, what's up, come on, let's be part of the community together. <laughs> you, you ready to go? <laughs> and, and sometimes we just need to, <laughs> sometimes we need to recognize who we're talking to. And just chill a little bit, you know, and let the introvert kind of just feel their way through the thing. And this, can I just tell you, if you're an introvert, this is a safe place to be introverted, okay? We might express ourselves, you know, a little bit, you know, wildly at times. But, like, we value you as an introvert. You bring incredible value as an introvert. We love who you are, and it's okay to be just who you are. There's a place here for you. Don't pull away just because the energy might not reflect exactly your energy. This is a safe place for introverts, amen? <laughs> Good, good. And also, community doesn't have to look just one way. It's not always a house party. It's not always sitting around a fire. Man, community could be a text message. Community could be coffee with one person where you listen. <laughs> like, it, it could be community doesn't have to be like one expression. Let's find the right fit for you that, that works for you. Now, life is also busy. We've got careers. We've got kids, et cetera. And, uh, man, we can let our careers get in the way of our kids and our family. And then I, I'm going to say something. As a, as a family man, there's a temptation to let my family get in the way of my faith community. You see, we idolize our kids these days. Like kids are the center of the universe, right? They're not supposed to be. But we do that. And, and what happens is we isolate our family away from the Christian community. And so one thing that me and Amy have been making a habit of doing over the last few years is cultivating community with people who value not just me and Amy, but who value our kids, who want to be around our kids, maybe even who would prefer to be around our kids over us. I, I'm, I'm okay with that. If you love my kids more than you love me, that's okay. But if, if I'm around people that don't just tolerate my kids but love my kids, then I know I can always have my kids with me. And as a family, we can be in community and I get the best of both worlds. And so that's how we try to live, you know. 
And, and I think God's been faithful to give that to us, to provide that to us. And we're still building that. And he'll build that for you too. And so you don't have to be isolated. You as an individual, you as husband and wife, you as a family, you, you guys have so many opportunities for community in this space. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Now, I think that there's some things that God wants us to do coming out of this. And I'm just going to kind of rapid fire these things because you guys want to get lunch, right? <laughs> what does God want me to do? Well, besides gather, like it says in Acts chapter 2, uh, and, and by the way, not just gather on Sundays. Acts chapter 2 shows that they gather day by day from house to house and then in the temple on the Sabbath. Now, I'm not saying you got to be with somebody every day. Man, I've done that before. That will wear you out. Man, like when we planted the church for a year and a half, me and Amy have people in our house or we're with people every single day. We are still recovering, okay? <laughs> like <laughs> we're just now getting our feet back under us, right? It's intense. But we loved it every moment of it. So I'm not saying you got to be day to day. That's not, you know, feasible for most. But it, it ought to be more than Sunday. You ought to be connected with somebody more than just here in these seats on Sunday morning. And if you're not, I'm not saying like you're sinning. I am saying that you're missing it. And they might be missing you. And, and we don't have to miss it. Let's lean into one another, right? So there's gather, but more specifically, what does God want me to do? He wants us, according to verse 24, to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. He wants us to stir one another to love and good works. You ever cook a spaghetti sauce? So I come from a, a, a family of, uh, you know, my dad was Italian, right? And so, man, we, we yeah, so we, you know, good sauce. Now, you call it gravy or sauce? Sauce, all right, bet. Yeah, it's sauce. Okay, good, good, sauce. If, if you say gravy, we can't fellowship. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I'm playing, I'm playing. But you stir and, and you layer ingredients and you stir and you layer ingredients and you stir Right, and you get those ingredients to marry. That flavor activates, and it it, it just marinates, and it's good. Right, man, I, I miss my dad's sauce. I need to make me some sauce. But we're supposed to do the same thing, where we're intentionally layering ingredients in people, where we're intentionally stirring those ingredients up and activating the giftings and the richness of this sauce, right? Because the outcome is very tasty. It's very tasty. It's very, very delectable. It's a good work. And we love it. And, and building community in this church is a good work. And, and, and we should love it as well. And so we need to consider how to stir one another up. How, how? Let's consider it. How? Well, be an example. Live your life. Be an example. Right? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So I want to stir people up by walking out my salvation in fear and trembling and just being a model and an example to the people around me. Now, I want to invite people. Curtis mentioned it earlier, man. Invite people to church. Invite people to a group setting. Invite people to a house party. Invite people to coffee. Invite people to serve alongside of you. Maybe they just haven't been invited. They need to be invited. Invite people. Two, sometimes we need to, or three, encourage people. And if Maybe a little more than encouragement. We are called to do this. Some people need to be challenged. Some people need to be challenged to serve and to do good works and to love people 
in the context of community. Look, if you're new here, one of the ways that we want to stir this in you is through what's called our Next Steps class. It's next Sunday, immediately following service. We'll take about 40 minutes. We'll give you a little snack. Your kids can stay downstairs in the, in the kids' ministry. They'll be fine. And we're going to walk you through a little bit about who we are, what we're doing. And if you're interested, it's a low-pressure environment. We're not trying to sell you anything, but we just want to expose you to what God's doing here so that you can decide if this is the faith community that you want to root down into to where you can be faithful to not only gather but to, to do good works and to love God and people. So our next steps class is next Sunday. I want to encourage you to come. Come to December 3rd Demolition Day. Go sign up in the back. That's a good work. Amen. Look, man, we're going to have a portable building or a permanent building. I keep saying that. We're going to have a permanent building, y'all. A permanent building where people are going to gather and there's going to be a community of believers and we're going to grow in Christ and we're going to know God and we're going to be equipped to go and love and, and serve together. And it's going to be, well, what it's been. It's going to be beautiful. It's a good work. Be part of that. Sign up. The other thing you do is invest in loving relationships. Now, I, I know we need to be wise. I know we need some boundaries in our life. But there's good people here. There's, there's good community here. Start exploring it. Dip your toe in. Come hang out for a group. Man, there's guys, now groups are about to wrap up this semester and there'll be a little break. And, and, and look, maybe we'll, I think, I think we're going to try to get some people together during the semester break with the groups. Um, and, and so, look, if you're interested in connecting, let somebody know and we'll figure out how to get you connected with some people in one of those settings. But groups relaunch in February. Make sure you say, hey, I'm going to go check out a group. Do you know that if you go to a group, that doesn't mean like you just signed a contract and, and you got to go every week and you got to, and that's the only group you can try. Like you can kind of feel it out and figure it out and maybe try it. Maybe, hey, you're out of town the next week. Like no big deal, you know, it's cool. But dip your toe, get into a group and, and see what God will do in your life. Hospitality is one of our, our um, values here at Northwood Church. And, I, man, our group leaders are some of the most hospitable people I've ever met. They open their home up. They make space for you. They serve. And they love. They do good works. They're being faithful to this. And, and, and you can come and receive. And who knows what God will do in your life. See, we're here stirring you up to love and good works. But you know you will struggle to do love and good works in the context of community if you don't get a grip on your priorities in life and you continue to let other things get in the way. You will struggle to be faithful, to gather, and to do love, uh, to love and do good works if, if you remain guarded, if you don't open yourself back up to the possibility of community, if you have unrealistic expectations, you won't jump in, you won't experience the beauty of this thing. You'll also struggle to love and do good works if you forget that Christ first loved you and first served you by going on the cross, shedding his blood so that you can receive forgiveness and healing. That's the greatest work that's ever been done in the history of humanity. The creator of the world died so you could have healing and forgiveness and restoration in your relationship with the Father. And the only appropriate response to that reality is to give yourself away. It's the only appropriate response. And so for some, your next step is to find healing and restored trust. Look, at the end of this service, 
we're going to have, a, or at the end of this teaching, we're going to have another song that we're going to go back into for just a few minutes. And during that song, there's going to be people here at the front of this auditorium, safe people, trustworthy people, people that don't gossip, people that don't share your business. And if you've been hurt before, or maybe you're still walking through hurt now, and you need prayer, man, come get some prayer. Come let, let us know so we can encourage you and pray for you and believe God to heal you and release you of that pain and that woundedness to restore your trust. Come get some prayer. Maybe you need to forgive others. That's a great place to do that as well at the prayer line. Maybe, maybe you'll be standing up and worship and God will just prompt somebody in your mind and he'll say, forgive that person. Release that person. Be healed as you forgive others. Maybe you need to repent from your sin. Maybe you need to confess your sin. Maybe, maybe you need to receive forgiveness for your sin for the first time, Rece receiving salvation from Christ Jesus. There's a lot of opportunities for some next steps that you could take at this very moment. But the ball's in your court now. I've presented the information to you, now it's your decision. And so what I want to do is give you the opportunity to make that decision. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, that, that you are a perfect community. And that in you, we have perfect fellowship through Christ. I thank you that despite our sin and our brokenness and our imperfection, you have made a way for us to know you, to be known by you to receive forgiveness for our sin, to receive healing from the brokenness in our life. You are a faithful God, and we just worship you. God, would you fortify this community? God, would you build us up in our holy faith? That we would lean into the, the mandate of Scripture, the call of God on our lives to continue to gather all the more as the day of the Lord draws near to be faithful, to stir one another to love and good works, holding fast to the confession of hope that we have. God, help us. God, for those that are in this room, God, that, that are hurting from maybe a family wound or a church hurt, God, I'm just praying that you bring healing. God, and that you would teach them to trust again, that you would teach them to, to believe again that there is a community of believers where there's health and, tr and, and, and healing and safety. God, would you just put that in people's hearts and, and cause them to believe it? God, and for those that don't know your salvation, God, would you just cause them to know now that they are loved by our God who is love, the perfect source of love, and that in your love you provided a way for them to know salvation through Christ and his perfect work, his finished work, his love-fueled work on that cross, God, and that they would receive salvation, that they would trust Jesus with their lives, that they put their faith in him today, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for it now. God, build us up. Help us to, to rally as a people. Protect us from the lies of the enemy, from the deception that will cause us to believe that that the imperfection of the people around us is, is, is not able to be dealt with by you, Lord, and that they would try to run from that, God. God, let us run to you and let us run toward one another and that there be reconciliation, that there be healing, that there be restoration in people's lives, God. God, and that we would be known 
as your disciples by the love that we have for one another, God. I pray, God, that that would be our witness in Ocean Springs and the surrounding areas. That would be the testimony that people would see when they come into these doors, God. When new people come to this church, God, that they'd say, wow, this is an authentic, loving community, God. We thank you that you've already done that and that you're going to hold us in that space and that you're going to keep us in that space, God. We give you all glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come